0: Welcome to the Honest EP Podcast. We are the podcast for health professionals and the wider community looking to explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie, I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches and joining me as always is allied health business owner and clinic business mentor, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? Very well, how are you? Very well. We have a beer, we're going to crack it. We have a
1: beer. How good does that sound?
0: Andrew, what are we drinking?
1: So we've got the Bolter Easy Hazy, which is a hazy pale ale. And according to the little blurb that's written on the side, there are uh, some succulent, succulent US hops uh, with some lime passion fruit and hints of coconut within this hazy pale ale. Are you getting the hints of coconut? No. No I'm not upset about that though <laughs> I, I don't know if coconut belongs in a beer No
0: I, I, I've got a thing I don't like it when coconut is a flavour that's added to my foods It's Really? It, I find coconut overpowering And the only thing I can taste if they put coconut into it is coconut ah. uh, Which I don't like I don't, I don't dislike coconut But I don't like coconut
1: flavoured other things What yeah. about coconut water? Can you, can you have coconut water and that not overpower the, the smoothie?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wouldn't add it to a smoothie because I'd want my flavors to come from whatever else in my smoothie, my banana, mango, strawberry. Yeah. That kind of thing. So I, I probably wouldn't add it
1: into it. Right. Yeah. Fascinating. So I'm glad I can't taste the coconut. I can't taste it either. It's, it's actually, despite saying all of those things, it is quite easy to drink this one. It doesn't, doesn't spew out passion fruit or no coconut or lime. It's quite easy to drink. See you guys.
0: Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that was Heather. She that was, was leaving. That's Friday afternoon. People are leaving work. They're excited. So what are we talking about today? We are talking about our top tips for people starting in private practice. It's the start of a new year. There's going to be a lot of people starting new jobs, whether they be new grads or whether they be uh, just leaving uh, their current job and starting in a new practice or leaving from one sector and working into the private sector. We have some tips uh, and they're very well-defined tips. They are. And they just come from us who have been in private practice for a while and feel like we should share these with other people. Um, obviously, we are EPs, but Andrew, you also uh, look after a whole team of multiple professions. So I don't think these are just relevant to EP. I think they're relevant
1: to most allied health
0: professions, really.
1: I'd say I'd totally agree. I think there's, uh, you know, university prepares you only so much. Mm. Um, and the, the, con, the, the challenges that we see with, Uh, new team members coming in it it kind of doesn't matter which profession that they come from Mm. they all kind of go through the same challenges as they learn Mm. perhaps the difference about private practice as opposed to what they may have been geared more for from a university degree around public health or researching or Mm. things like that. Mm. Which is interesting I think different unis
0: Uh, cater to private practice better than others Um, I've found that some unis at least with the students we see some of the courses are very much based around research and how to interpret research and how to do things based on the evidence like that they don't actually teach you how to implement this stuff in a private practice setting and I've noticed that with some students where They don't quite have that knowledge. They don't know how to to bridge the gap. Whereas other unis have subjects where it's all about connecting from this, uh, the research base for this condition, and then how do you apply it to a client? Mm. How do you communicate that? What does your prescription look like? Uh, And that's been awesome, but they don't all do that.
1: No. Unfortunately. No, they don't. And that's fine. That's why we exist. to to help these people understand what their first toe-dipped-in-the-water of private practice is going to look like. Cool. What are you going to start with? Andrew, what's your first tip? So my first tip is to understand that you are going to make mistakes. And that's fine. I think that a lot of people, you know, when you go into a role and you're trying to impress your boss or your, your manager or whatever, that there's a tendency to not show the vulnerability that it takes to admit that, ah oh, I had something planned, but didn't actually go mm. the, the way that I thought it was going to go. Mm. Uh, I think there's a lot to learn from when you make a mistake. Uh, and that could be in private practice. It could be from not knowing how to take a payment properly on the fpos terminal to mm. not rebooking someone properly to calling someone the wrong name when yeah. you go and introduce yourself for the first time yeah. like there's there's a million mistakes that mm. you can make in private practice that aren't necessarily just the prescription yeah side of things but just to own that and just realize that this is where growth happens mm. this is where you can at the end of the day, or even even in that moment, you feel a bit shit and you feel mm. like, oh God, I feel like this is terrible. Mm. But then at the end of the day, it's it's not as acute as you thought that yeah. it once was. Mm. And if you distance yourself from that and you pretend like it never happened, there's a, a less of a tendency to learn from mm. the mistake that you made. Mm. I think that a lot of new grads or people entering into into private practice for the first time think that they need to be perfect. Mm. And they don't Mm. like nobody's perfect. No, nobody can be the, the perfect practitioner or the perfect person Mm. for everybody that walks through the door Mm. Uh, and to have very high expectations of yourself when you're just starting out can be a little bit uh, uh, challenging. Mm. Uh, And also from the perspective of the manager or the boss, Like, we're not expecting perfection. Like, we're expecting you to be a new grad and we're expecting you to make mistakes. Mm. When mistakes are made, it's good to just acknowledge it and just go, okay, well, how could I do this differently next time? Mm. So that's my, my first one, is just to own things, own mistakes when they come up because that way you'll learn from them.
0: Own it, acknowledge it, and then you can learn from it. If you distance yourself from it, harder to learn from it. Yeah, definitely. I think also, uh, talking about the prescription itself, it is also okay to make mistakes, you know, with your prescription. You know, no one's expecting you to be a perfect practitioner off the bat. Uh, I don't think clients also have an expectation, not always, uh, that you're going to be perfect. You know, that they're seeing the best health professional in the world mm. when they see you. So, you know, if you do a narrative wrong, you explain something wrong to them, it's okay. You can always correct yourself later. And if it doesn't go well with that client, well, that's the beauty of private practice. <laughs> There's plenty more. There'll be another one that comes <laughs> through the door and you remember that experience and you can learn from it next time. Absolutely. I think we've all got experiences from when we remember, oh, I can't believe I did that with a client once, but I remember that experience. And that helps me now not do that with future clients.
1: Absolutely. I remember doing an assessment with with a client, an initial assessment with a client who was a GP, mm. who I realized was a GP after I did the consultation <laughs> with her. And I started talking about things that I didn't really know. Mm. I knew from a surface level mm. perspective. I started talking about she, uh, this client came in for like fatigue, uh, related concerns and I started talking about nutrition for fatigue and I started talking about I think I'd, I'd listened to some podcasts on you know what <laughs> supplements that you should take if you're suffering oh, yes. for a bit of a and I, and I started to sort of go oh look you know there, there might be some research around you know taking this vitamin for this or, or this thing for that and she started to push me on it, She oh no. was like, are you sure about that? Because the research that I've read is it's like, oh my God, oh no, what have I done? Don't call you. I, that was 10 years ago. I still remember mm. that feeling of feeling like, oh no, I've made a terrible mistake. I've gone somewhere mm. that I shouldn't have gone to. But the good thing about that was that now, or what that taught me was that I need to be very well read on mm. certain things. If I'm going to suggest or recommend mm. things, there is also something called a scope of practice. Yes. And it's important to understand mm. as an EP, as an allied health professional, where my scope of practice ends. Because if I'm gonna start waffling on about uh, a podcast that I listen to uh, <laughs> with some very loose references and some loose research, then i need to be able to back that stuff up. Yeah, really well.
0: It's it's actually quite uh freeing to have the ability to refer out to someone who knows more about something than i do. You know, I, we have that uh ability to do that here. If someone asks me in-depth questions about nutrition and i go, well, look, and i think to myself, oh, i could answer this but it's probably not going to be a very good answer. And I'm not going to be able to spend enough time on it for them to understand and actually make a plan out of it. And they would be much better off seeing one of our dietitians. And I feel way more comfortable being able to sell our dietitians and give them confidence that they will be able to give them really good advice than me give them half-hearted advice
1: that I heard from a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It was the Rob Wolf podcast, the Paleo Solution podcast. I remember it. It was compelling. <laughs> I saw a book in our meeting room that's Paleo.
0: That's something, something about like the yeah. personal journey yeah. to the paleo diet. Look,
1: you go through a journey. <laughs> you go through a journey. Um, this isn't this certainly wasn't on our list of, of things no, that we wanted to talk wasn't. about. But I think that's a good point as well, is that understanding um, that you you do have a scope of practice. It's important to have mm. some trusted people, trusted professionals that you can refer to. That mm. when the the curly questions come in about things that you aren't trained in or don't know, mm. that part of your or part of what will make that that transition, as as you just kind of suggested there that you, you have people that you can go to. Yeah. Go to this person. This is not something that I'm 100% confident mm. in, but this person is. Yeah. So finding those people will, will make your life a lot easier because you're, you won't end up in this kind of weird gray area of things that you know a little bit about, but only surface level. Yeah. We don't really want to be doing that. No. That's not a great way to get confidence. As a new person, new practitioner in private practice.
0: People can get surface level from Google. They can. And their own podcast. Or Instagram. Or Instagram. It's very good for it. TikTok now. TikTok. Apparently surface level.
1: Uh, Apparently healthcare.
0: (laughs) All right, let's move on. I'm going to give my first tip for people entering private practice. And it is, don't be too hard set on what kind of practitioner you're going to be. I'm going to use... An example of myself uh, when I was at uni uh, going through my placements I became I started reading some books and listening to some podcasts and following some pages on Instagram I was like yes these are the guys that I want to practice like and they uh, followed a thing for musculoskeletal care called the joint by joint approach um, it was the guys from the squat university, I can't remember his name because I haven't looked at any of his stuff in ages and I feel fine about that um, but I was very much like this is exactly what I'm going to do and I'm going to be able to uh, do awesome things and this is the right way to do it, not the other ways. And I then went to placements and my opinions changed and I had other opportunities shown to me, other ways of thinking shown to me. I was like, oh, shit. This is not what the Scott University guys told me. What do I do here? I don't know. (laughs) And it kind of left me in a really weird dilemma of now, I was very hard set in practicing one way, and then suddenly I got exposed to some other things that worked better. I was like, oh, okay, I actually need to change. So don't be too hard set in the kind of practitioner you want to be because you are very likely to come across other people who practice differently to you. It may not be something that you believe is the right way to practice, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn anything from them. Whether you change a lot of what you practice from learning from them, or you just learn some tips about how they communicate with clients, uh, or they have useful narratives, Or they use some prescription or treatment modality that you think might help with some clients you can still learn a lot from people even if you don't fully believe in the way they practice so coming out of uni or coming out of a job you've been in and being very very hard set on one thing not always a great idea I
1: I think there's a lot of value in understanding and being exposed to different ways of thinking when clients come in for the first time as a as a person working in private practice initially you'll start to realize some of the very strange things that people have been told Mm. but they believe it and they believe in the joint by joint approach or they believe in trigger points or they believe in cupping Mm. whatever it is love cups how good's a cup And it's important to be able to to build a rapport with that person, to have an understanding about why they believe that to be true. Whether you believe that or not Mm. is up to you, but they have been told that, they believe that, and to be able to engage them in a conversation and perhaps reshape some of these thoughts, you need to understand it. Mm. Because it, it's not very well, uh, it doesn't do the client any good for you to just sit there and go, oh, that's horseshit. Don't, don't believe that. No, nah, that's bullshit. Because they'll just end up confused. Mm. And as a new grad, who do you think they're going to believe? Yeah. Are they going to believe you, the, the 22-year-old who's got five minutes of experience? Or are they going to believe the... Cairo, that or the gp or the physio or whoever that's got 20 years experience and has been practicing this and they've been seeing for many many years Mm. um of course they're going to believe that person and so if you just create a barrier between you and that belief then you're going to find it hard to to manage that person moving forward absolutely
0: a better way to approach it is to be curious and that's often a good way to open a conversation about someone's beliefs. Another practitioner is like, hey, I'm just curious, you know, what's the rationale behind this? I'm trying to understand it better. And that's a really way, good way to disarm yourself and disarm them from an argument and actually have an open discussion and learn some things from them. Could be really beneficial for you and then for them as well. They actually have to explain their point of view. So they
1: might learn something about it as well. Very, very good. Nice. Mm. Andrew, what is your second tip? Well, my second tip actually kind of aligns pretty closely with that one, and, and it's to discover yourself as a practitioner. What do you mean by that? I think at uni, we are, certainly the way that I was taught, and granted that was a little while ago, that we are the holders of the knowledge. And it's our role to disperse that knowledge Mm. to the person that's sitting opposite us. And you do that by talking
0: Mm. a
1: lot during a consult. And I think there's a... We know that that's not so true now. Uh, But I think there's a lot to be gained from just learning some, some personal development or some kind of non uh, prescription type skills, soft skills, that will help you feel comfortable when you're in that initial consult or you're in the, the therapy with person. Um, people can kind of sniff out when someone's not really being authentic mm. or they're not being themselves. Mm. And I think, you know, we there's there's so often the story of, you know, people working hard through high school, they go straight into uni, they work hard at uni for four years, and they don't really stop to learn about themselves and do some personal development and feel comfortable in their own body. And what you notice is the people that do that, that have gone through that process, are the ones that can naturally build rapport with people, that can naturally have an easy conversation. And so I think it's important to discover yourself as a person and discover yourself as a practitioner so that you feel confident in yourself when you're giving Mm. a prescription to someone. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Do you have some uh, examples of some things that people can do to try and discover themselves what either while, you know, they're at uni or while they've started? Can they read books? Can they do podcasts? What do
1: you think? So Simon Sinek has got some great stuff, like just YouTube, Simon Sinek. Just hours and just, hours of just Simon Sinek. Just wonderful stuff. Mm. Um, and, and he talks about, you know, understanding your why and all of that sort of stuff. He, he speaks a lot about the millennials and what drives people mm. to to choose organisations or to choose a career Um, I think you just Google him. Um, the, the master of, you know, personal development. Well, there's a few, um, Tony Robbins has got (laughs) some stuff. Um, he is a bit of a divisive character, but, um, he's a very enthusiastic character. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kerwin Ray has got some stuff.
0: Yeah, he's cool. I watched a video of his that you sent me recently. There was him at his company's. Uh, like work retreat and it was an hour of him basically talking about this talking about this like what is each person here's purpose and why that's so important Mm. really really interesting
1: um you know you you, i think part of the process of of becoming a good practitioner is is just understanding yourself and how Mm. you respond in certain situations and the the type of impact that you want to have with the people that you're working with, um, I think once you once you open that door, mm-hmm. you you find um, a lot of important ways that you can then channel into the way or or your career or your occupation. Um, so I think you know you can start by um, just reading some Tony Robbins books or, or something like that, just to sort of dip the toe in the water and see if mm. it's something that, that floats your boat. Mm. But yeah, I, you know, becoming confident and becoming competent as a practitioner, it, it takes a bit of a, a look internally. Yeah, sure. To see how you mm.
0: want to be. Mm. It's not just about your craft, it's not just about your profession. You know, you have to understand yourself first as well. Mm. Definitely. Wow. Great tip. Love that one. How about you? What's next? My next tip is uh, is a straightforward one. Um, It's be aware of your own imposter syndrome.
1: What's imposter syndrome?
0: So, imposter syndrome, if I was to explain it in my own words, is uh, feeling like you don't belong because you're not good enough. Um, Surrounded by... Other, what in our setting surrounded by other practitioners uh, and other professionals who've studied a lot and trained a lot have a lot of experience and feel like oh my god I'm not good enough to be here why is this person seeing me? you know uh, what do I know? I don't Mm. know enough to to help you Mm. I've just started here and it's really important to understand it's like well you're here for a reason either you've finished uni and at uni you've done You know, four or five years worth of study and done all of your placements and done all of your experience and then you've gone through a job interview and the people that you work for have chosen to hire you because they believe in you. So there's something you need to remember. Mm. Uh, And you also need to remember that you're talking to a person who has sought out the help of you, of your profession. If they knew everything, they wouldn't be coming to see you so you obviously know something that they don't whether you feel like you do or not those two things i think are really important to start with Uh, and the other way that i think it's really important to be aware of imposter syndrome is uh, or a really good tip to, to help manage it and it's one of our eps told us about it recently is she has started writing down in the back of her diary on paper Every time she has a really good experience, a great outcome, an awesome session, or has a great feeling with a client, she'll write it down. Mm. And then anytime she has a bad experience, a shit session, or feels like uh, they don't, you know, they're not doing very well, they don't know why they're here, uh, they're not good enough, they'll go back to that section in their diary and they'll read all those great experiences, great outcomes they've had to remind themselves, like, wow, I, no, I am good enough to be here. I know what I'm doing.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's pretty good. Mm. How, in, in your expertise, how does imposter syndrome present itself to a new grad? Like, what, what are they feeling in imposter syndrome?
0: It's an insecurity. I, I find it comes across in two different ways. It either comes across in a way where they feel like they're not good enough so they try and over give a lot of information, they over talk, over prescribe, end up giving or as an AP giving people too complicated, too in depth of a program that is just too much to follow because they try, I need to give them everything I know. Um, and that is one way that it comes up. The other way that comes up is the opposite where they go, I don't know what to give and they don't give anything. Mm and they undersell themselves it's very obvious uh, to the client and you know to other people around it's like I, you know I don't feel I can do this and it, it, it shows mm. it, it shows in the, the lack of self confidence the lack of belief uh, maybe a communication with the client you know starts to fall you're quieter you're not as confident in the words you're saying and I think that's number one you have to show
1: some confidence in the words you're saying. So is that about faking it until you make it? Or is that about, what is that about?
0: Well, there's definitely a bit of fake it till you make it. There's definitely a bit of that. Uh, obviously you're walking a line between what we talked about before about knowing your scope of practice, yeah? not faking that you're a nutritionist or a dietitian uh, until you are one, because you're not gonna be one. But, you know, if it is your area, you have to show some confidence in front of that client because we, we have, you know, research that, you know, that if the client perceives you as more confident, then it's going to end up in better results, better outcomes. So you need to show some confidence. Even if you don't feel super confident yourself, you have to show some <laughs> and you can fake fake it till you make it. Because the more you show that confidence, you will naturally become more confident. Nice. Mm.
1: So, fake it till you make it. Where do you stand on that? On fake it till you make it? Yeah. In, in, oh God, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, like you said before, you, you get confidence over time. Mm. It's not something that you will walk into your first job with and no one does mm. no one walks into a new job going I know everything about this job I'm mm. going to absolutely crush it if you do that y- y- there's something else going on there <laughs> it's probably outside the scope of <laughs> what I know as is <laughs> it nobody knows that mm. and that's okay because mm. you learn mm. right you get mentors you you get experience you understand how you respond in certain circumstances, and you'll learn from it. Mm. Until then, just pretend. And that's okay. Yeah. But, the way that you pretend is not necessarily by talking at people the whole time. Mm. And I think that's where the the challenge comes in, is that people think, well, okay, I need to be confident, so I'm just gonna talk. Mm. I'm gonna go, fucking this person, i get all my knowledge out of my brain and go, yeah and I remember I used to do it as well like I wrote these stupidly fucking complicated programs Mm. that were you know a year long program that Mm. alternated it's like no Mm. like that's that's not that's not what the client needs the client needs you to just listen Mm. and when you speak speak with pretend confidence and eventually you'll get it Eventually it'll be real confidence. Eventually it will be real confidence because you know, how do you you get confidence, right? Because you've you've got experiences that you can draw on Mm. where what you applied Mm. worked. Yeah. And nobody walks into a role with that. Like Mm. you you can't do that. Mm. So that's okay. Just. Mm.
0: And at least in the, the physical uh, therapy side of things, I find it's easier to show confidence talking about simpler, shorter things than rambling. The more you ramble, the less confident you seem because it sounds less rehearsed. Very much so.
1: Very much so. You know, the, the old saying of, you know, you don't know something really, really well until you can teach it to a nine-year-old. Yes. Like that's, that's where we're going. Mm.
0: Andrew, what is your next tip? I believe you have
1: one more. I do have one more. I think it's as a new new grad work, working in private practice for the first time, it's it's wonderful to get some mentors, right? You might get a mentor that's kind of prescribed to you. Like um, if there's an internal system within mm. the company that you're working in that mm. you might get a mentor mm. within there. Um, I think it's it's great to be able to seek external mentors as well, because they. I think we've even done a podcast on mentors. We have, because the you know they can look at it through a lens of um, what happens outside of the organisation mm. and and things like that. I think it's it's good to get varying perspectives on that. What you end up getting, um, as we as we talked about before a little bit with the whole. Social media context is that you end up with different perspectives Mm. on things, which is good. Mm. That's a good thing. So, get mentors, definitely get mentors, learn from them, but don't copy them. Mm. We're not trying to create duplicate practitioners from, you know, mentor A over here when you when you get mentored by someone don't feel like that relationship needs to be well i just need to copy this guy mm. because that's not what it's about mm. it's about understanding the knowledge learning from their experience because they will have experience or mm. well, they should have experience if they're a mentor i'd hope so you'd hope
0: don't don't find a mentor that has no experience don't
1: find a mentor that has no experience there's a there's a hot mm. tip um <laughs> But just in the same way that you you digest content on social media, realize that the content that this mentor is producing, someone will have an opposing view to this. And that's fine. Mm. There's there's elements of your mentors that will help you as an individual become a better practitioner. Mm. And that's the stuff that you want to take on. Mm. Uh, Whether that's communication skills, whether that's... um, uh sort of broadening your broadening your scope of practice in the sense of like particularly from the perspective of an ep Mm. understanding that uh uh, you know that there are um psychological therapies sure that run as an adjunct to the the service that i'm providing
0: different types of exercise prescription if you're from another profession different treatment modalities yeah, there's more than one manual therapy, type of manual therapy that you can provide. There's more than one yeah. psychosocial um, treatment that you can provide someone.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So get some mentors, learn from them, but run it through your own filter. Yes. Take what they're saying and make sure that it aligns with you mm. as a person mm. and you as a practitioner. Mm. And if it if it resonates, mm. try it. Yeah. And if it doesn't, well, you can still try it mm. and see what the result is. And if, if it's not what you want it to be, then yeah. just maybe put it over there mm. for a little while and come back to it if all else fails.
0: If, if you're allowed to try things in private practice, that's the beauty, yeah. you know? If it doesn't work one time, that's all right. Might work the next time. Might work the next time or try something different the next time. Mm. you just got to see. I've got countless amounts of clients. We went through some today. Uh, we had had a spreadsheet of our ideal clients. And it was something we did in 2019. Um, and I looked at the name of the person on my ideal client. I was like, I don't even recognize that name. <laughs> Who's that person okay. I was like well they were apparently my ideal client in 2019 There you go. Um, and I, I, I looked them up and it was like oh that's what happened to them okay. <laughs> I couldn't remember <laughs> but there you go there's going to be countless amounts of clients that you can't remember so if you try something new with them who cares you're not going to remember it in two years anyway they're probably not going to remember it, it doesn't matter it's alright not at all
1: yeah not at all it's
0: all for your learning
1: it is all for your learning hmm. uh, that, that's a really great point um, you can try things, like mm. right? you can try things and experimentation is good because it will help you work out you as a practitioner. Mm. And again, confidence comes from doing things repeatedly and getting good results from mm. that. Mm. So then that enables you to speak with confidence when you are yeah, in a, in a consult with someone for the yeah. first time. Cool. So, yeah. Get some mentors, absorb their wisdom, mm-hmm. run it through your own filter.
0: Great. Love it. That's a good tip. Those are all of our tips. We're going to rerun through them very quickly after we talk about our beer. Um, you would have heard both of us open our second
1: beer. It's very nice. It is very nice. I'm enjoying this. I'm noticing more passion fruit on the mm. second time. Which is, uh, well done, Bolter.
0: That is a thing though. You know, sometimes it takes more than one to, to get past the beer taste mm. and get into the actual flavours of it. So, there you go. I, we're going to try some more Bolters. I reckon. There was a good range of them. There's oh, yeah. quite a few. I've had the XPA before. Mm. It's very nice. Haven't had any of the other ones before. This is my first time trying another one. Uh, we're definitely going to try some more. We will. Well I, done. Don't know if we'll try the IPA. We haven't seemed to be fans of IPAs no, when we've no, had them. No, that's very true. Maybe if we really run out of beers to try, we'll come back to IPAs. Fortunately, there is a very big selection. And we'll be very, very upset, very sad the entire episodes. And very, very inebriated because the IPAs are <laughs> really strong as well. Oh, dear. But let's let's quickly do a list of our main tips. Uh, Andrew, your first tip was... Don't hide from your mistakes. Cool. My first tip was don't be too hard set on what kind of practitioner you're going to be. Andrew, your second tip was... Discover yourself. My second tip was be aware of your own imposter syndrome. And your last tip, Andrew...
1: Get some mentors, learn from them, but don't copy them.
0: How good's that? There you go. Gold. We did a great job there. We did. That's five tips. Clear. Five tips. It's rare that we have clear five clear points. <laughs> but there you go. It can be done.
1: Well done, us.
0: Alright. Um, thanks for sitting through the break, everyone. You know, it's the late January, but you know. COVID happens. <laughs>
1: COVID does happen. Friday afternoons been COVID?
0: busy the last couple of weeks, so you haven't been able to record anything. But there you go. We've yes. done it. We're here. We'll be back in a fortnight. Yes, we will. And I look forward to seeing you all soon. See you later.